0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Yes, Sir, H. My name is Mark, and I'm with... Dennis from what? Jersey Channel Islands. <laughs> Jersey Channel Islands. Uh, yeah. And I and I promised myself that I wouldn't ask you about the weather, but what I am going to ask you about is, in our last episode, you did talk about going to catch some fish. Did you manage to do that? Uh, how no. How was the
1: catch? <laughs> uh, uh we had one very hot day and it creates pandemonium in England. There's el warnings and well, it just goes on and on. We had one really hot day and um people are getting sunburned and it's kind of chaos. But we're now back to uh, it's dropped by about ten degrees and I'm I'm in my office here with a jumper on and um chances of going in the water are over at least for this week. So um, we've had maybe, the it was the hottest day of the year, but it only was one day and it creates chaos. People are moaning that they're boiling and, it, and I, I just mildly said uh, to a few people, look, this is just a, uh, an average day in Singapore and nobody makes a fuss.
0: <laughs> well it's been uh, it's been raining for two days in a row in Singapore so <laughs> I don't think it's any different uh but okay uh we are going to jump straight into today's topic uh which is on assessment uh and I what I'm gonna do is i will leave the article uh in the show notes so that uh, i would encourage anyone listening to please Uh, read the article first uh, so that it gives you a frame of reference on some of the things that we'll be discussing now if i can just do a quick summary this article uh is by dylan williams who happens to be one of the pair of black and williams whose work on formative assessment i think uh is literally been quoted uh almost everywhere that i know of uh and he talks about a vision for fair and accurate assessment. So that's what we're going to talk about today, in today's episode. We are going to look at uh, fair and accurate uh, assessment. Uh, And I just want to start off with a quote that uh, Dylan Williams said. And he said, okay, the problem was that if we change standards, students were able to sit a scaled back version of an exam paper, And this was a mistake. So obviously, he's referring to the time when we are trying to do assessment during COVID. Uh, And he goes on to say, we wouldn't, okay, want, for example, to change the driving test to be easier to pass. That's a standard, it's meaningful, and we should have kept it at that. And he goes on to say, if we had used teacher assessed grades, but otherwise kept GCSE examinations exactly the way they were, while taking into account extenuating circumstances, we would have had something to compare to. Instead, we have nothing. So let's start there, uh, then. Uh, And really, the question here is, do you agree with what he said, number one? And maybe the next question that I think we should discuss is, why is changing standards such a bad thing? Because we were in unprecedented times. So what are your thoughts?
1: Well, look... um... When we talk about assessment, there's some key principles of good assessment, aren't there? One is validity. We've got to measure what it is that we intend to measure. And we've got to make sure that the people assessing this uh, in different places with different students, et cetera, are doing it to the same standard, and that's a kind of reliability issue. But there's also another one, and this is the the most thorny part of assessment it often doesn't get really discussed because it's expensive, and that is sufficiency of evidence. Now, let's use an analogy here. When we get on a plane, Mark, we're going thousands of feet up in the air, right, uh, in the metal object, and um, there's a lot of luggage, and do we do we worry that um, the person flying that um, as a um, modern one or two goes in and kind of, well, they've kind of got it down and there's no crash. Now, uh, I wouldn't be happy with them dropping the standards and say, oh, well, hold on a minute, these flight simulators cost a lot of time. And do we need pilots to land the thing uh, 60 times in different conditions, storms, hurricanes, fog? Or do we say, oh, well, he, you know, he, he's done it a couple of times and uh, seems to be OK. Now, I wouldn't be happy with that. So th- this notion of if we're going to keep dropping the stamp, let's give everybody a master's degree with distinction. And um, and in the end, all that, in fact, um, to some extent, there is an argument already going around that, um, the standard has been dropping. More and more people are getting these qualifications. Now, at one level, you can say, oh, that's because people are getting smarter or teachers are teaching better. Well, it could simply mean that the standards are dropping. And when that happens is then employers and um, institutions that recruit people start looking at qualifications like A-levels and uh, O-levels GCSEs or whatever they're called now and say, well, hold on a minute um, you know, <laughs> my Jack Russell dog um, could probably pass some of those things so <laughs> then they have to then come up with their own um, um, sets of standards, in fact now with employers, I remember when I came up to university, if you had a good university degree, um People would interview you and make sure that you, know, you seem to be a reasonably well-functioning, self-regulated entity, and you'd probably get the job. But now with jobs, that there is this kind of thing, okay, so you've got a degree, but um, we want to then give you an old series of other tests. In other words, well, maybe getting a degree today is if you can pay the fees and you, you don't... Um, you don't rock the boat too much or commit a crime, um, then you end up getting something um, after your name. So, totally agree with we can't drop the standards.
0: Yeah, so do you think when people talk about dropping standards, they actually mean just taking away one type of examination? They conflate the two. Do you think that's a possibility? And that's why people are talking about dropping standards. I don't really think they mean making it easier but just becoming a bit more flexible in the type of assessment. Do you think that is a conflation or misunderstanding?
1: Well, um, the the problem with assessment uh, that, from my experience, I remember years ago there was criticisms, and there still is. Oh, exams are not fair. The student might have yep. a cold on the day, and yep. there's there's all of that is fairly valid. But when we talk about oh, well, what about the stress of doing the exam? Now, to me, the stress factor and managing stress in doing an exam is an important component of the exam. I don't some I don't want someone driving me off are flying a plane when they're great in the simulator, um, but oh, I'm being watched, um, I, I, I can't perform. I mean, surgeons are in hospital, aren't they? You're doing complex operations, there's nurses observing them, there's video, and they've got a, a brain tumor. And I've had teachers who said, oh, if somebody sits in my lesson, I can't do it. Uh, it's not the same. You know, to me, this is, um, it's qu- quite simply nonsense and dangerous nonsense. If you are competent, you should be able obviously that uh, you, you don't the pilot don't fly the plane if, you, if if he or she is ill teachers should not be in classrooms if they're not able to you know perform at an acceptable level so um um but i don't say oh because it's a, a test situation it, um that um oh i, I i've got the legitimate reason to say oh well the stress is something i haven't performed so i don't buy into that argument
0: right so okay i hear you so what we are basically saying is it's very dangerous to talk about lowering standards uh, and more importantly is really to look at sufficiency of evidence and of course to still remember the rules of assessment Uh, but we could also talk about in extenuating circumstances like covid we can look at changing the modes and methods of assessment just that we still make sure the rules of assessment still apply fair comment
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. But I mean, flexibility is one of the principles of good assessment. Yeah, You know, for example, if you've got somebody who, you know, says handicapped in some way, I'm just using that term loosely. Right. And they cannot get to the exam room. um, Then um, it's perfectly fair for and acceptable and correct to take that exam paper to that person in a location that they can do it. So I'm all for fairness, I'm all for flexibility, but we can't suddenly, we can't turn around and say to someone who's, um, who um, is clumsy and accident prone, to say, oh, well, um, it's unfortunate, you know, they've got a bit of a, you know, they, they're they clumsy, they don't have kinesthetic skills, but oh, we can't stop them flying the jumbo jet. I mean, I know I'm stretching it a bit, but um, yeah.
0: Okay. Got it?
1: Flexibility, yes compromisation of standards no I mean there's a good example of you know uh, what we accept I mean if you I don't know we we get saturated with the news here on all manner of issues that you don't seem to spend so much time on in Singapore but this issue that if somebody changes their gender or sex right so you start off as a male and then suddenly you want to be a woman I, I have no issue with that however but then you think oh well I should be able to compete in, in, in women's competition. So you're six foot four, and you've got a, a, an athletic male body. Um, uh, uh, the, uh, the the ruling was that they cannot now, and there's obviously uproar about that. But I just don't get. Where do we go with this? Are we going to turn around and you know say anything goes, or are we going to you know simply say look, if you're a woman, you compete against women at something? I'm not so In fact, I prefer watching women's tennis than men's tennis these days because um, there's a there's a lot more good players, and it's a more flexible thing. So, in some sports, um, you, 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 it, it doesn't affect the watchability of it. But I don't want to see um, women af- athletes in a swimming pool swimming against a guy who, who was six foot four, but just because uh, he's decided to have a, a, a gender change, change. No, it's ridiculous. And I, I think there's a slippery slope there. Yep, yep, I understand. But I'm just going back
0: to what you said earlier, right at the start. And that would be is. Uh... Uh, compromise no flexibility yes i think that just sums up that nicely but i want to go back to what uh, dylan williams said uh and and i think for for our local listeners in singapore uh, and i'm going to read the statement again so he says if we had used teacher assessed grades but otherwise kept GCSE examinations exactly the way they were while taking into account extenuating circumstances we would have had something to compare to. Instead, we have nothing. So can you just elaborate for the people in Singapore and myself as well, what exactly does uh, teacher-assess grades... So, Dylan Williams suggests using teacher-assess grades what does that mean in the context of assessment? What does teacher assessed grades mean in the in the context of assessment?
1: Well, I mean, quite simply, um, we as teachers, we 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 did um, a podcast, I think two podcasts on you know effective feedback in assessment, right? Yeah. So um, when we talk about assessment, whether it's formative or summative, the methods don't change; it's only the purpose, right? So essentially, teachers could do assessment against the learning outcomes, using the appropriate methods and using good um, assessment um, practices. In other words, it's valid, it's reliable, it's fair, etc., and do the assessment the the only notion of doing the exam is it takes away the potentiality of subjectivity and this this relates very well to studies of peer assessment peer assessment is great and it's it's a, it's a part of the instructional strategy etc but we do know that peers will tend to overestimate the performance of people that they like, whether yep. they did that consciously or subconsciously, whatever. So the danger is that in the school situation, there could be um, teachers who are um, for the, what, what they think is for the benefit themselves of the school. This may not even be a conscious, clandestine activity. But <laughs> say, well, you know, um, little Johnny or Linda or whoever. Um, you know, such a nice kid tends to do well, massive effort. I think, yeah, I think they really deserve a B. Um, and, you know, it, it, as we know in the assessment, there's a number of systemic biases. And one is the ALO effect that if people tend to do good work quite a bit, yeah. if they do a bit of work that's not so good, we tend to think, well, that's not typical. And equally, if you've got kids, um, are not good at doing good work and they put it in you kind of think oh there's something wrong here you know had some help or it's better play good plagiarism and whatever you might mark it down and also if you're looking at a lot of there's something also called the contrast effect that is if you're looking at work that's generally poor and suddenly there's a piece of work that is quite a bit better the tendency to say wow you know that that gets an a but not really it's only in relation to most of the others are e's so there are so many biases that can creep in, and I think that's the issue. Really, can we can we really rely on all teachers in all schools, or most, um, meeting the, um, meeting the, the standards, uh, the, and the reliability issues to um, really consider all the evidence in relation to the standards without various types of biases creeping in? I mean, that's it.
0: Okay, so are you for it or against it?
1: Well, I actually think that look, you've got to be pragmatic. The truth yep. of it is, if we were going to and particularly now, as we want to start um, assessing twenty first century competencies, yep. things like metacognition and um, teamwork, experience, yep. teamwork, these kind of things. Now, let's be honest about it: to assess teamwork, unless we actually follow a team around. Uh, not just in the classroom, but out of the classroom, what work is being done. We spend thousands of hours to be able to get sufficiency of evidence so right. very often we're assessing these things very anecdotally in other words you say to students however you've been thinking about your work oh yes chair yeah yeah we, we meet up and we check that we've got the information and we check that we've done analysis and we're making right inferences grounded on the data now that's okay I mean you, in, in a sense you'll get a feel of it but in terms of assessing teamwork based on that without a lot more evidence and, and saying to the group have you all been working together oh yes yeah but they're all mates they all want to get a great eye oh well, yeah we get great you know we solve our problems and if there's a conflict we resolve them um but how can you how do you really know yeah so there's so much it's, it's such eye inference assessment okay? right so it's i'm all for combining both i think um he makes the point that let's have if we would have had teacher assessed grades right and we take those as one set of data and then they still sit sit the exams and we do some kind of moderation or even I mean I think he goes on to talk about Sweden that students aren't assessed by teachers but they also take some national set of exams or or, or achievement tests whatever and they can then present this. If they go for a job when they go to university. They say, "Look, this is what the teacher um, gave me, and this is what I did on this um, particular set of tests," and um, and then people could look at that. See, I, I, I am a supporter of. Um, looking at performance in much more holistic, practical ways. I mean, I mean, let me just tell you a story. It's kind of funny, and it will resonate with this. Yeah. As a student, I worked as an assistant gardener. I'd already done my first degree, <laughs> and uh, it, it was a cracking job. One of the best paid. Best jobs I've ever had. In fact, I nearly stayed there. I nearly didn't go back to university. I, I got paid so well, and it was such a it was such a, uh, a fun thing to do. Anyway, um, I was working with three guys. They were all guys who were in the Second World War. They all wore cloth caps, and none of them could get their head around that my name was Den and not Don. So in the end, I just answered to the name Don. Didn't care. I don't care now. Basically, anyway. But one day, one of them was doing a crossword. I think it was in the Sun. You know that kind of paper. And they asked me, "Well, what's this?" You know, and I said, "Oh no." And. They asked me another one, don't know. And one of them said to me, you know, with an expletive thrown in, you're a liar. You said you got a degree. You're a liar. And I said, well, why'd you say that? And they said, well, look, we're, we're doing the sun crossword. If you've got a degree, you should be able to do the sun crossword. Now, I'll be honest <laughs> with you, I, I absolutely loathe doing crosswords or anything like Sudoku. I just don't like those puzzles. Everyday life is a sufficient puzzle without kind of that yep. kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. Okay. So I had to bring me degree certificate in, you know, to prove and they're still like, mm, kind of thing. Now, this is the point, isn't it? That kind of, uh, what are we making inferences from in terms of performance? So um, um, it's like um, these, like, personalities, if you go for a job and they want to assess you uh, teamwork. And you get a question like, are you comfortable in the team? Well, the person who isn't doesn't say no. It's, um, in psychiatry uh, so, uh, uh, you've got these sort of tests you know, do you like killing people well you know I mean I'm exaggerating there, but they're, they're ridiculous psychopaths are so good at faking um, psych- uh, psychological tests and even these so called tests that are subjective like the inkblot test, test people say oh it can't be fakeable of course it can be fakeable um, it, it's so easy to fake you don't start saying it's some kind of extreme sedition or sexual image, you say, oh, it's a couple of rabbits in a field, you know, so <laughs> it's all fakeable, um, and simply because um, we're trying to make judgments on something that is quick yeah. and, and as a veneer of objectivity about it. So um, there isn't a simple answer that whatever we do in the assessment, there's always a compromise between validity, sufficiency and and the efficiency, and efficiency is always bound up with time and resources. Yeah, we'd like teachers to spend more time gathering more evidence, doing more moderation. When you te- talk to teachers in schools, and you know, certainly in England and maybe in Singapore, just to get the job done is hard yep. enough without saying, right, am I really sure that this student is a B and not a C? Yep. So let's let let us be real. It's a bit like at the moment, this economic crisis, you know, people are saying prices are going up, petrol is going up, but we all want more money. Well, the reality <laughs> of it is, yeah, things are going up. That's an objective reality. But there's also reality that um, you know, a country like England, I don't know how many trillions in debt it is. Um, At the end of the day, where's the money going to come from? You know, so I'd say, oh, there's more people needing health services, there's more for care, there's more for this, and we've got to increase benefits. And the question is, well, where's the money going to come from? If I went out in the street now and I said to people, oh, please give me some money, you know, people are going to sort of say, well, they might do, they might give me something, but if if half the population are out there asking for money, uh, the people with money are going to get a little bit older in a minute. Where's, you know, I'll have no money left if I, 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 I gave it all away. Um... I remember being in Non Penh many, many years ago and I had single dollars in my pocket and people were asking me and I kept giving them a dollar and in the end I ran out of dollars and there was people keep still coming up so I had no money and I couldn't explain that I had no money. I had to run away. I had guys with like one leg chasing after me and I was so unfit. They nearly caught me. But I couldn't explain to them in Khmer that I don't have any money left. I mean, I know that. So, you know, it, it's just, yeah, I'm just trying to put it into a reality frame. Understand. Okay. Got it. Now, uh, I just want to move on.
0: I think to be clear, uh, he did say that he is in favour of high-stakes exams. uh, And he tweeted that unless there is something better, high-stakes exams should be here to stay, but they can be improved. And I quote, Overall, though, I'm in favour of high-stakes assessments because they make the system fairer. People often say that we should get rid of tests that will cause other problems. Now the question here that I have is: With everyone clamoring for high stakes exams to be dropped as they are too stressful, uh, and even in Singapore we have people calling for the primary school leaving examinations, who uh, Singapore students take at 12 years old to decide which secondary schools they go to, uh, and to encourage you know the ministry to cut down high stakes exams. Uh, so if that is the case, and currently right now some schools are removing uh mid-year examinations from the the whole learning experience how then can we even make a case for high stakes exams do you see them going away uh, anytime soon down the road or are they here to stay
1: well look i mean this is the problem isn't it with kind of paradigms it's kind of high stakes exams are no high stakes exams well i think there is in schools and certainly in the uk um there's just there's actually too much i-stakes testing all the way along the lines i think we've got to turn around and say yes we have i-stake exams but we have them at appropriate times and also to have these things at a young age i don't think is particularly fair for example when i grew up in East London, we have something called the 11 plus exam it still exists in some places. It exists, I think, in Guernsey in the Channel Islands. Or it did while I was there. They may have scrapped it. I don't know. I'm not sure. But the, um, you know, at, at the age of 11 to put, make a decision to say, if you get 1.24, you go to what's called a grammar school, which has got an academic focused education, or you, you just miss out. You go to a secondary school. It's more vocationally best. Now this is ridiculous at the age of 11, um, uh, that you know, in the environment that I was in uh, was we didn't um, have private tutors. We weren't learning vocabulary and doing kind of mathematical things. We were playing football, fishing, and boxing. Um, so if we would have had an exam on who played for um, Chesterfield on the wing on a Tuesday night against Crew, we might have knew that. But to to write a sentence and put in the word vegetarian, I mean, you know, uh, n- we, n- nobody passed these exams in the kind of school environments that I were in. And but that then dictates or shapes the reality. So th- this notion, I think, of it, it should be a bit like a you know a football league that people can be moving around different sets or instead of having kind of constant streaming across everything and having one school that's academic and one's vocational, is to have a more flexible dynamic thing. You don't want kids in classes where they can't cope Equally, you don't want kids in classes where it's all too easy. So I think you must have um, a more dynamic, fluent system so people can move up and down and have opportunities. But at some stage, you've got to say, this is when we have a summative test. So I actually think at 16, the kind of O-level type situation, GCSE, whatever, and A-levels or the International Baccalaureate, which is quite a good system, um, is, is, is okay. But I don't think everything should be based purely using an exam format. And I think there's two aspects. You've got exam formats where it's assessing, understanding and application, uh, more open book type stuff, but concentrating on application rather than, have you memorized every single part of the, uh, um, the body system? You've got to assess uh, factual knowledge, but you want to also assess conceptual understanding um, in an exam situation. So to me, I think we need to have better exams and we need to look at a range of performance evidence, and some of that can be generated uh, in schools. But the idea of having too many take-home assignments um, opens it up to getting Uncle Joe or Auntie Flo to, to kind of do it. Right. Okay. That, I mean, uh, that's me, my frame on that. Yeah.
0: So, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, because we did talk about, you did say that, you know, it is not one or the other, dropping uh, high stakes exams with firms of teacher as- assessment does create a whole set of other problems, uh, piousness, uh, consistency, and maybe even uh, the halo effect that you rightly mentioned. Yeah. So, um, I think one way that uh, Dylan Williams suggests is to do a hybrid model. And I'm going to read what he says. Uh, And he quotes Sweden now. He says, in Sweden, um, there is a hybrid model. So there, high school assessment is teacher assessed. But alongside this, the Swedish scholastic Institute test is accessible to all students. You are then automatically considered for university on whichever grade gives you the best chance of getting in. Now, I'm going to stop you for a second. And the reason why I'm stopping is because, isn't this like giving people an opportunity to, for want of a better word, lower the standards, okay? So, something to think about, that's that's one. Now, two, if you have a strong, so I'm continuing his quote, if you have a strong social system which doesn't allow people to prefer one or the other, but is about which grade puts the student in the best position, you can report grades separately, Now, ultimately, though, I think it's better for the two to be combined because each source of evidence can mitigate the weakness of the other. The standardized assessment gives you the latest and best information, while teacher information gives you much fuller information. Both are limited, but together they can provide a fairer picture. So, we really need to find ways of combining the two, okay? So my first thought to you would be is, is this not lowering the standard? That's number one. What do you think of his proposal?
1: And how do you think we can actually do this? okay well the the idea of having those two sets of data gives the yeah it's a bit like doing research There's a term in research called triangulation right yeah means that you can you can have a questionnaire and get some information you can have a focus group interview you can have individual interviews or um, yep the, the approach that um i've spent a lot of time using and i did it with my first study with Football hooligans, and that is an ethnographic study, which is you spend time gathering information uh, over an extended period in many situations, right? So, the that if you it, it, look, it, 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 there's a nice saying, isn't it? If it sounds like a bird. Um, talks like, a sorry, sounds like a bird, looks like a bird, and behaves like a bird, it's probably a bird. So we're triangulating data, aren't we? The visual, the audit, the kinesthetic. Nothing to do with learning styles, but that they are different sources of information. At the end of the day, it may not be a bird, it may be the Loch Ness Monster, okay? But, you know, the, <laughs> but it, I don't think the Loch Ness, be... Ness Monster can fly, then. <laughs> no, no, it probably can't, yeah. yeah. So, but what I'm saying is, it's, uh, it's probably a big duck. Um, anyway, but going back to the, the basic point, the 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 Swedish system um, may work within the social uh, and cultural context of Sweden. Now, for example, one of the debates I have with people is about you know Singapore, the yep. Singapore penal system, and that. And um, which I defend 100 percent. And if people don't like that, that's their uh, value judgment. But I always look at the outcomes in 25 years in Singapore. Uh, I don't think I had anybody being unpleasant to me, even when Tottenham uh, lost um, and um, uh, I had two daughters and they could go out 24 hours a day and they never got any any problems. We never got robbed, no one broke in. In England, there's parts of England now where they haven't solved a single burglary. And the reason is there's so many burglaries and the police are caught up with so many other things um, that they don't you know, do. They even bother coming down now in many cases. So um, this is the kind of the, the problem that you can get. So in Singapore, it's much easier because of the socialization in schools where we're encouraging in Singapore, you know, core values. I noticed when I went in schools in Singapore and I went in many of them, you walk in, the kids all smile at you, they say hello, because they're taught things like kindness and graciousness and these kinds of things. So I think it's easier sometimes to have a certain type of system in a certain type of cultural context. Would it work in um, some Western countries? Um, I'm not so sure. Um, I'm not going to go deep into that, but that's what they mean by the social system. They're going back to those two sets of data. Um, um, yeah, it could lower the standards. In other words, somebody does terrible on the um, um, exams uh, that are set by the Swedish authorities, but they get on great with the teachers and they're terribly good at getting people to help them with their work. And they end up with perhaps school grades that don't really reflect. So that's the problem with that. The hybrid model that he suggests, I think, uh, again, neutralises the weaknesses of both and and the strength of both. There's nothing like a really good performance task. So when Cristiano um, uh, Ronaldo goes out on the football field week in, week out, and scores at-trick after at-trick, I think we can say he's a world-class footballer, right? Um, I have actually scored goals. I I don't know if you ever saw me score one, but I've scored uh, From twenty-five yard, uh, twenty-five yards, and I've bent it in the top corner uh, three times in my life. Um, so the so what I'm saying is, someone could watch me for five minutes and think, "Wow, that guy's good." Um, but um, so th- that's the problem with the the ice stakes exam. Sometimes is that um, in itself uh, it it could be situational, but I think if you've got an ice stakes exam that is very Uh, rigorously focused on key understanding and competence uh, at an eye level you you you're probably going to get a very good idea that that person certainly has the potential for that kind of performance whether on an every do they do it that well every day you know what what is the interference effect between potential performance comes into play so i would keep I stakes exams that really focus on understanding and where possible um, performance the problem is as you get more on the performance and you want to see performance across a range of situations that's when the cost to assessment time comes in and that's where uh, it falls down because there isn't the money and time in the system and that's the problem the other one about the um you know, the teacher assessment. Yeah, it, it's, it will have all the subjectivity issues that could be there or may not be there dependent on the competence of the teachers doing the assessment, the integrity and all those kinds of issues. So to triangulate those two sources is, is a compromise situation. It's probably as good as it gets.
0: Right. Okay, cool. Understand. Sounds good um but again i think at the end of the day uh i think it also depends on the the system that you are operating in i think in singapore it's going to be a bit tough uh because we have literally been bred uh from the idea that high stakes examinations are key are important uh and they're done at various milestones of uh uh, a learner's life, school life so to speak so I think it's going to be quite tough to do a hybrid system in Singapore although I do know that we are uh, experimenting with the idea of uh, project work uh, in the schools for students who are doing A-levels uh, part of their component is actually graded by the teacher Uh, the coursework is graded by the teacher and then of course they will sit for the high stakes uh, paper uh, which assesses their knowledge uh, which is going to be probably a written test or so so I do think there is uh, hope at the end of the tunnel uh, but to say that we would have a fully hybrid system that will sit next to one another I don't see that happening anytime soon Uh, do you see that
1: happening anytime soon in the UK Uh, well to be honest about it um I've no idea what's going to, um, if I take the UK generally, the thing with the UK system is um, there are pockets of excellent practice and there's um, there's a lot of other stuff. And I think there's so many issues in schools in England. Is One is the attrition rate of teachers, I think, is amongst the highest, highest in the world. There is uh, a lack of discipline in so many schools in um In the UK, again, it varies from school to school, but certainly uh, there's so many issues, problems, um, that I just don't really know what's going to happen. There will be schools that will become excellent and they will work. But across the system, see, the thing about Singapore, what it sought to achieve was not just excellent schools, but an excellent school system. In England, you've got everything from excellent schools to failing schools. Um, you know in terms of if you look at different indexes in in terms of attainment but also in terms of behavioral issues and all of that kind of stuff so um, no I don't think so I think it's it's more possible in Singapore um, than what it is in the UK uh, as an entity I mean Singapore is smaller it's better funded I think kind of the 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 old culture is more supporting of education learning and taking responsibility i mean which i think you know in the uk there's there's a massive emphasis on rights 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 and if you li- if you watch the news 90 percent of it i mean i'm exaggerating a bit is somebody grumbling about something or blaming someone and we need an inquiry um um doing responsibilities i think in, in singapore you've got responsibility um And people being conscientious as a stronger thematic across the society that pervades pervades into the education system. In England, it would be episodic rather than systemic cultural. That's my opinion, anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. Uh,
0: And um, I think we will wrap up this segment by asking or actually looking at where or how the future of assessment will look like and how it can work. So I'm going to read this out as well uh, because this is quite mind-boggling for me as I was saying, coming from a system where we are looking at high stakes as the only way of assessing a student's competence. So uh, this is what he said in the article. Now, schools would be told to send the names of students who are doing GCSEs to the exam board in February. Now, in May, the exam board sends each student a customized examination. Take note, uh, a customized examination. One might get a test on biology, while another gets one on chemistry or physics. Four might get a test on collaborative working, while two may be tested on working practically. Now, he says the important point is this. The teacher cannot know who is going to get which test in advance. Therefore, the only way to teach to the test is to teach each child everything. Take note, teach each child everything. How is that even possible in the light of so much things to cover in so little time? Okay, we'll, we'll answer that. Now, yeah. he then goes on to say, those exams are then sent back to the exam board, and instead of attaching grades to the individual children, they will tell you in this class you you have two grade nines, three eights, six sevens, and so on. It is, and this is what blew my mind. It is then up to the teacher to decide which student gets which grade using all the teacher assessment done throughout the year as part of your normal work to make that judgment. Do you even see that happening? Because my jaw literally just dropped on the floor when I read
1: that. Okay. Uh, It's an interesting concept, but it's based on certain premises, right? Um, The the first one I like, I think kind of the idea that students are doing a course, if they're doing chemistry or biology or whatever it is, and um, the idea is that all the learning outcomes should be met, right? Then um, as long as the whatever... Topic or whatever component of the course um, that the student, any individual student gets, is clearly a significant and representative component. Of the um, scheme of work, the objective set. It's not some fringe element and it's suddenly worth 50%. So the idea is mastery learning. Now, I'm all for mastery learning. And how do we teach subjects to achieve that? Well, two things have to happen. One is what was done in Singapore um, when I was there, and I think uh, it went right back to thinking schools, learning nation. We chopped out a significant percentage of stuff in a course that wasn't seen to be central to understanding. So I think we've got to look at courses, make them more competency-based and also to um, teach the key concepts and skills. So I think we have less to learn, but more qualitative Qualitative aspects of the learning process. Um, I mean, if you look at English and what is taught, there's so much stuff taught about metaphors and similes and poems and Romeo and Julia and whatever. Why don't we focus more on reading, writing, and speaking um, as competencies So that's one way of dealing with Let's assess stuff that is most useful and relevant. Um, at mainstream school level, fair enough, if you're doing A-level English literature, then you can read all this Shakespeare and whatever. Um, do we need to have that in, um, you know, in, in the school curriculum for 12 and 13 year olds? Well, I'm not saying we don't have some literature, but and we don't have some diversity of, of a language, but focus on let's assess those key skills of reading, writing and speaking. That's my opinion on that one. Now, this idea of the grades, it's a little bit like, are you very good at picking winning dogs at a dog track? Now, what that basically means, you read the form of the dog and whether it runs on the rails or whether it it runs wide or whether um, it's had an injury recently. Those kind of things that based on the speed of the dog, you should get some idea. But in the race a number of things that can happen so let's bring the analogy back so the idea is if we give students these mastery tests and uh, we don't name the students right so there's two grade a's three grade b's four grade c's and the school don't know which students if they're doing good assessment within the school they should be able to say hold on a minute um tommy or sandra really good at everything um Mm. probably a nine um tommy x or whatever it is um really has been struggling across the board um and there's a c here he's he's probably a c right so the idea is if the if the external tests are good assessing mastery learning that's the perfect scenario and if the teachers are doing their jobs as good they should get most of those right in other words the the character who got a nine will the teachers will recognize ah that's Mark Niven thing you know he's definitely a nine and oh Denny Sal that East London boy you know he's a little bit of a bit of a wide boy you know he kind of gets around this and ducks and dives and uh, but somehow he seems to have done quite well in this but um not so sure about that so these are the things that will come into play it's it's a good if you like, piece of research to do. And fair enough, I think kind of uh, this could be piloted, but it could work well where you've got teachers doing good assessment. Uh, and it might not work so well where they're not doing good assessment. So it's not a silver bullet solution, it's an option. Right. Okay. Cool, uh, good PhD, uh, Mark. So you fancy doing a PhD in assessment? Let's set that up, and I think you know that that that's uh, that be interesting. But um, yeah, you, yeah, he admits so, doesn't he? Look, um, yeah. all it does is kind of it's comp its all a compromise. The only real solution is if you know it's a bit like if you had a policeman on every street corner, you'd probably uh, reduce crime. Well, you don't need to have that in Singapore, but certainly it'd be useful in England. But there, there isn't the cost to do that. What's the point in having the policeman on every street corner? Um, and you've you got no money left to, uh, uh, to to do other things, it's just not viable, right? So, um, again, um, unless you've got teachers teaching less hours, having more time to do um, a wide a range of thoughtful uh, assessment more sufficiency uh, more moderation exercises and you get uh, a less less content curriculum so in a sense it's you've got better curriculum and you've got teachers with more time to look at um, student performance you know with more triangulation in the in the school context if that was the case that would be that would be um more viable yeah i'd support that in that context but right. um you know it's a bit like kind of you take over a football team of of guys who are not that good and you try to play like manchester city it's not going to work is it you play like wimbledon used to let's not ball long and let the big guys go for it and let's be fit and physical and see where it goes mm, mm, okay i think that's a good point uh and
0: I think that's the perfect place for us to stop uh, for part one. So that's our take on how we can look at assessment, how we can look at teacher-based uh, assessments and try and uh, put it together with high-stakes uh, examinations. I think you are right. We could talk about this all day, Uh, but we'll draw a line here uh, and we'll move on to part two. Uh, and that's where we always like to share something that we have thought about or we have read. Uh, so for you then, uh, what, would you, do you have anything that you want to talk about you want to share
1: well i mean the only thing i'm kind of thinking about is kind of um you know, the way the world is so rapidly changing that the uh, the need for um if you like expert teachers in ways that we try to talk about in these podcasts is that um I'm just thinking of ways in which we can promote. I mean, we do our podcasts and I do other things and you do things. Is how We can um, be more visible in promoting good teaching. And that involves not just what we teach at cognitive levels, but um, in, in, in terms of the effective domain. Uh, if kids across the world were taught to think better and they were taught to... Um, be maybe kinder, more gracious, have care and concern, recognizing that you know that some are not going to buy into this. That um, I think it's our best, um, one of the best things that we can do, um, along with you know maintaining the environment. You know, there's so much concern now of global concerns about. Um,
0: greenhouse
1: gases and environmental degradation i think kind of you know when you look at the world the conflict the wars you know the crime and 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 various other things that i think we we need to uh, do some work on improving human minds albeit something that um evolution hasn't totally prepared us for at this point in time sounds a bit chim but kind of thinking about those things right okay thanks for sharing that one uh I don't
0: have a tool for the week, but uh, I was joking. reading... No, there's I, I, enough, I, I... There's I, none left. There
1: isn't yeah. no, I, take this week. Uh,
0: uh, no, I... No, I was reading this article which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, and the title of the article goes, uh, Edutech should be more <laughs> evidence-driven. The oh. 300 billion global Edutech industry is full of promise, but its non-empirical approach has prevented true success. So I thought it would be something interesting uh, instead of just, you know, introducing another tool uh, I thought it would be good to share this article for people to read it uh, and just to get a sense of you know where we are at when we're talking about using EduTech tools uh, because I think we've always advocated a pedagogy-first approach. So I think this would be a good time to maybe take a pause and look and read this article uh, and look at it from an evidence-based perspective, what is working and what is not. Uh, and then maybe next time I'll start introducing new tools again. So I thought this was an interesting article that everybody should read. Uh, yeah, so I will put the link in the show notes so that you can uh, access the article
1: uh, yeah. and then
0: have a read as well.
1: I was just thinking maybe next week's pod could be we'll have a good look at it and we'll offer our frame. Sure. Does that uh, seem suitable? Yeah, we will still so put we put a bit of an advanced organiser out. People listening in can read it. Uh, see what we think and then respond to us to say, are you guys really on the biscuit or are are there other ways of looking at it? So I do think this whole edgy tech thing is something that needs revisiting. We looked at it in well, probably 25 episodes ago um, uh, and there's new readers. So let's next week look at this article and say, right okay we knew in 200 and, uh, 2004 zemsky did massive research and yeah. he referred i think it was an e if i'm wrong um i apologize he or she whatever zemsky is the name uh referred to um online learning as a thwarted innovation in in, in education and that was because it was complicated it wasn't user-friendly it wasn't evidence-based etc., etc. so let's revisit that next week and maybe for the next two weeks and see if we can um really put a evidence-based frame on that which i'm sure we can
0: yeah got it okay so that's a wrap uh and we are done episode 39 done and dusted can you imagine it's 39 already we are slowly reaching the magic 40 and then before you know it we would have done a whole year's worth of episodes uh, I might
1: just sort of jump in there. You said the magic forty. I was seventy. Um, was it? I think it was last week. Yeah, yeah, last week. Uh, I keep a low profile with with birthdays. I just don't do that kind of stuff. So I've reached seventy. Can can we get to seventy podcasts in my lifetime? There you go. There's a there's a post. definitely. I'm confident
0: if we can. If,
1: if we can, I might even uh, buy myself a cake. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay, uh, that's about it then. Okay, uh, and
0: once again, if you would like to write to us, you are more than welcome to do so. You can do so at evidence based creative teaching at gmail.com. Once again, it is evidence based creative teaching at gmail.com. So, once again, that's the end. Uh, and if you have uh, enjoyed today's episode or you have enjoyed previous episodes, please do share and like the podcast it would do us a big favor uh yeah so what's the plan for the week the rest of the week then
1: uh basically um i've got a a fairly big project i'm working on and uh just getting getting everything sorted out um for that because um we've got a fairly significant presentation on it in a week or so's time so um yeah so keeping busy and um Two or three weeks time, hoping to uh, relax a little bit and um, increase um, my and um, protein intake with fresh fish. Right, okay. <laughs> Looking forward to the stories about catching the fish. I'll and... send some pictures. I'll send some pictures. Yeah. I yeah. go in the fish market and buy a big bass and put it on the lawn. No, I will. I'll, I'll be authentic. You'll be. How will you assess whether I've actually caught it and whether I've plagiarized it or whatever? Yeah, or,
0: we need we need sources of evidence then. So one yeah, of it is going to be the I'll fish. The that other. Okay. It's
1: going to be the evidence has got to be valid, reliable, and sufficient, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, we we we'll we'll be flexible. It doesn't have to be fish. It can be squid as well there's no there, you, you can't well I suppose you could squid come out at night funny enough Um. so um, uh, so yeah there are quite a few squid around but I'd have to go down at night with a torch bit creepy that I think I'll stick to the sunny weather and try to stick to mullet and bass
0: yep okay
1: so take care
0: and we'll see you soon goodbye yeah and goodbye from me